sales, they call it marketing. In recruiting, they call it talent branding. If you ask any sales leader if they can do their job without the help of marketing, they'll laugh at you. When it comes to recruiting though, talent branding is still a questionable investment for many companies. In today's episode, my amazing guest shares with all of us some of the core principles behind success in recruiting at scale and why talent branding plays such a massive role in this process. Knowing who your competitors are, knowing the companies that you're competing with, but having that intelligence and really understanding the landscape that you're recruiting from also can give you a competitive edge because you know who to go after and you know how to go after them, right? It's the how to go after them that's really, really important. Welcome back to Recruiting at Scale, a podcast where we host talent acquisition leaders from some of the fastest growing companies. I'm your host, Tigran Sloyan. I'm the CEO of CodeSignal and the founder of the Go Beyond Resumes movement. And I'm delighted to host today a tenured recruiting leader who has led talent acquisition at multiple fast scaling startups. Feliz, welcome to Recruiting at Scale. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. And thank you for the welcome. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, maybe we can start with a quick intro of who you are and what you do, and we can go from there. Absolutely. So my name is Felice Echeloni, and I lead the global recruiting team at Sentinel One, and I also lead our uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives. Perfect. Uh, what does the company do? I've, I've heard about it and I've read about it, but I think you out of everyone will explain it the best. Yes. So Sentinel One is a cybersecurity company and our bread and butter really is around endpoint security. Um, and we just recently started to develop a platform that touches all aspects of uh, security for a company. And we recently acquired a company by the name of Scalar to start uh, securing data as well. So that's 10,000 foot high level of what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I think in this day and age, it's becoming more and more important. So exciting. Well, one of my favorite questions to ask is always how did people get into recruiting? You know, so I, I honestly haven't heard your story, even though you and I have known each other for quite some time. So I'm excited to dig into it and find out how did Phyllis end up in a recruiting career? I actually love answering the question because it's a really fun story. So I was meant to be a teacher back in the day. I had gone to school and had studied liberal arts, which was for elementary school teaching. Um, and at the time, and this is many, many moons ago now, the, the market wasn't really hot for teachers and I needed to pay off some student loans, kind of the proverbial had to go to work, right? And so I ended up landing a temp job to be an office manager at this tiny little startup called University Recruiting. And it's no longer in existence, but they were trying to outsource university recruiting. And I met this gentleman by the name of Mason Wong. And I did a little bit of everything for them, maybe for about nine months or so. I'd never really actually heard of recruiting or the kind of things that recruiting entails until I got introduced to the company. And so it sparked a little bit of an interest. Um, the company folded fairly quickly, just unfortunately didn't work out. I ended up moving up to San Francisco and Mason, the same person, Mason Wong, had given me a call and said, hey, we have this recruiting coordinator position at Levi Strauss, which I was like, of course I'm interested. It's Levi Strauss. It sounded really fun. Um, again, still had to pay off my student loans, all the all the good stuff. So I ended up working for Levi Strauss for about a year. And, you know, I got thrown into everything. I did coordination. I helped with career fairs. I helped open stores and had a complete blast while I was doing it. 
And then I decided at that point, because I was having so much fun that I wanted to actually try my hand at recruiting. And so I put the teaching thing aside and, you know, it it was really interesting because at the time it was right around when 9-11 happened. And so the world was kind of on a standstill and there was a Mm. lot going on in the market as, as I'm sure you remember. Right. And so I had a tough time finding a job because I had literally zero experience recruiting and I didn't have any like practical training around it or anything. And so Mason called me again and um, (laughs) said, Hey, I want you to consider uh, coming to work for me as an associate recruiter. And so he essentially gave me like those opportunities when I was very, very early in my career. And he took me under his wing and literally kind of showed me the ropes of recruiting, took a chance and literally the rest is history. Mm. So that is how I got into recruiting. It's a fun story. Yeah, <laughs> I guess when you look back, right, what is the the thing that stands out to me is that regardless of what you were doing, you must have done it well, because the same, uh, same person, I guess, kept bringing you back, right? You must have really enjoyed working with you. Yeah, you know, the one thing um, I think I was very lucky back then and, and continue to be now, but he definitely appreciated I had I worked really hard and I tried really hard. I always I always want to do a really good job. And, and certainly back then, because I was trying to prove myself and kind of get a foot in the door, so to speak. And so mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was really about a lot of grit and effort to try and and get into recruiting. And I think he saw that and he knew that I really wanted it. And I think that was probably why he finally had an opportunity where he could offer me an opportunity to do recruiting. And he was willing to do it because I, I worked really hard and I tried really hard, like I said. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, again, big kudos to, to him as well, because, you know, not all leaders rise and bring everybody else up with them. But I also think it, it goes along way to kind of do your best and strive to really do a great job regardless of sort of what the future might hold right because i think sometimes people optimize too much for the short term right (laughs) like you know uh think but you forget how small the world is and how quickly things evolve so that's awesome though i didn't know that story so i guess how did you get into tech in particular was that first one with him in, in a tech role as well or? yeah yeah it's a good question so um it was with a company called advent software which was a portfolio management company at the time and it was software enterprise software before the cloud became the cloud and SaaS became SaaS. Um, so enterprise on-prem portfolio management software. So that's really where high tech began. And I essentially stayed in high tech from then forward. Makes sense. And I know the the last year has been kind of an interesting for year for you as well, because uh, I guess out of all the companies, Trip Actions was one of the ones impacted the most with COVID. So would love to hear a little bit about how the last year has evolved for you. And you're in an awesome position right now, but I'm sure it must have been a roller coaster this past year. A roller coaster for sure. Yeah, you know, I think I think like everybody, it, it was a tough year, right? And I'm glad to say we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So Trip Actions is a wonderful company and their platform is really incredible. And it was it was so much fun, um, but it was really difficult because we were impacted by the fact that there really was no global travel, whether for personal or for business. And so it was a roller coaster because we did go through some downsizing. And then, of course, we had to kind of occupy ourselves with projects and things um, within the team to make sure that we were keeping ourselves busy and engaged. And then I had decided kind of towards the end of the year to to start considering the change. And then that's really where Sentinel One kind of came in. And as you mentioned, you know, cybersecurity is one of those things that's 
forever needed. And I, and I realized how important that is to consider when, you know, looking for new opportunities, but, but like I said, yeah, you know, Trip Actions, wonderful experience, tough year. They're going to do really well and they will continue to do really well once the world travels again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like wrong timing, but you know, uh, some things never change. I think everybody's itching to get back into traveling. So it should I be fun. Me included. I want to travel both for personal and for business. So like I said, I think that they will continue to be wildly successful. And, you know, the one, the one thing I can tell you, the experience taught me, you know, you learn to be really resilient as a recruiter anyways. And I, I think my resiliency uh, increased tenfold over the last year because you just have to kind of continue forward and put one foot in front of the other and persevere and get through the challenging times knowing that there is you know a good outcome eventually just it's just a matter of time and you got to get through it yeah and I guess you've been in the industry for quite some time how has that changed right like when you look back into like you know what recruiting was like I guess in in 2000s and then like in the last decade and I guess how it has been evolving this year I feel like this year is making everything evolve faster than it has ever before so I'm curious how you kind of look at that progression and what what's the the same what's what's changed yeah it is fascinating how much it's changed it's such a good question so I joke with my team on the various tools that we use um, because way back in the olden days of recruiting uh, many many moons ago I would have binders of resumes and I would put resumes in alphabetical order and I would get faxed uh, resumes with cover letters and we have clearly evolved significantly since those days right and it's well I have been in recruiting for a long time it really hasn't been that long but the evolution really has taken shape very quickly over the course of time and so I think a lot of what has changed really is the technology around recruiting and the technology that enables recruiters to be super efficient and super productive in their roles. The dawning of, of LinkedIn as a network and all of the applicant tracking systems in the cloud, um, automation, even assessment tools these days help to automate. Literally none of that existed when I first started. And so it is really remarkable to see how technology has transformed um, recruiting and the way that we do recruiting. I think the one thing that that hasn't changed, and I don't think it will ever change, even, even with all the evolutions of technology, is really just the whole notion of relationships and people, right? Recruiting is all about relationships, whether it's a relationship with your hiring manager or a relationship with your candidate. It's one of those things that will always be in the forefront of recruiting and one of those things that will, I guess, help the recruiters be successful continuing on with their relationships. You can have all the technology in the world, but if you don't have that connection with the people that you're working with, it's very hard to recruit them and kind of convince them to come to a company. So I think that's one thing that really has not changed at all over the years, but the technology certainly has. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think I've, I've heard this argument of like, well, oh, recruiting is going to be automated and like we're going to have robots and machines and algorithms take our jobs. I've always said it, like doctors would get automated before recruiters because it's uh, it's such a relationship driven thing, right? And it's, you know, to build something that can, before machines and artificial intelligence can build trusting relationships with other humans, I think recruiting would never really become automated. So we'll see tons of other jobs get automated before it gets to recruiting. And as you said, right, it's, it's, a, it's, it's very much about relationships in all aspects. And I think technology will enable 
to spend more time on relationship building versus going through binders of resumes. So I guess, how about the scale of it, right? I'm sure you've done like the small scale recruiting, you've done uh, the very high scale, like rapid recruiting flow. What's been the, the delta for you, right? What's been the smallest scale? What's been the largest scale? And how does that, how do the rules of the game change as you kind of go from recruiting for a handful to recruiting for hundreds? So I kind of equated to an early stage startup versus mid-stage versus post IPO or some kind of exit where early stage, it's a bit of the wild west, right? There's not a lot of operational rigor, kind of just go with what what comes at you. Uh, Recruiters tend to be a bit more reactive because they're reacting to what's coming their way. I think as as companies begin to scale, the operational foundation of the recruiting organization becomes more and more important because of the fact that you have to hire more people, but you don't want the quality of those people to diminish by any means, right? And you want to know that you're hiring the right people for the organization at the right time based on the demands that are coming down. And so for me, as I've, as I've kind of navigated my career and become a leader in recruiting, I have really realized that the foundational operational elements of a recruiting organization are really, really important. And so like we just talked about having the right systems in place, uh, making sure that they are helping the recruiters be more productive by doing some of the automation and and making things easier from an integration standpoint, whether it's offer letters or whether it's, you know, new hires going into some kind of an HRIS system. And so I really think the operational foundation allows you to then build for scale, right? And what comes along with that as well, when you're thinking about scale is data, right? If you don't have your tools in place, you don't have your data, you can't report out to the business. Because in the early days, you might have one or two recs, and I know it's not really that little, but you might have a handful of recs, and it's really easy to have a conversation about them. When you're talking about hundreds of recs and thousands of candidates, it's not as easy anymore. And that's why the tools then allow you to do your reporting, which then allows you to inform your business, and also it informs your strategy where it's going really well from a pipeline perspective, where you need extra attention or perhaps extra resources, et cetera. So that's really, for me, how I think about scale. It's really that operational foundation. Right. So I guess, yeah, when you're small, you can just afford to do it all manually. And because it's like the, the numbers are small, right? So you can just sort of report on manually. Spreadsheet and talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. As, as it grows. But how early do you start setting up that foundation? Because on the flip side of it, if you start way too early, uh, you might be wasting some really valuable time on planning for kind of like multiple years ahead where you didn't really have to. So what's the, uh, I guess, inflection point at which point you're like, okay, no, we need to really get our ducks in a row or is it more continuous versus like a point in time where it's like, okay, flip. Yeah, not, it's not quite a flip. You're right. That's exactly how I would put it is that there is kind of an evolution over time um, because the teams start really small. It might be one person, might be one person doing all of HR. You know, they're doing a little bit of recruiting. They're doing a little bit of HR and it really gets, the inflection point is typically when you start having to evaluate, okay, do we have enough people on the team to hit the headcount demand? What is the headcount demand looking like? And and it's by percentage versus numbers, right? It could be that that you know you're going to hit 30% growth or 50% growth over the next year. That's a lot of growth, right? Even if you're a smaller team and a smaller company, that's a lot of growth and starting to really think about, okay, we haven't done that before. How are we going to do that now? And it doesn't mean, you know, you have the perfectly built out 
uh, applicant tracking system in that early stage or the, the beautiful dashboards um, built out yet, but, but starting to get towards that and starting to put things in place like capacity reporting and talking about headcount and understanding what's coming down the pipe so you can be a little bit more planful. And then as you go, go forward, um, and those numbers get bigger by percentage, right? Because the more you hire, the bigger you get, the percentage stays the same, but the number of people that you have to hire gets big. That's then where you really want to start to build in um, that operational rigor that I'm talking about. And that's usually late stage startup E, right? You, you want to be agile enough, but you don't have to be so structured where you feel like this big company and you don't have enough room to move and be agile when you need to. So it's kind of really in that like late stage startup where you want to start to put some of those foundations in place. And then anytime you're getting ready for exit, right? If you're exiting to an IPO and becoming a public company, there are just certain things that you have to have in place. And that's kind of really when it's it's then required to put process in place and documentation and all of the things that are needed to be a public company. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess when you think about like recruiting for high growth companies and startups in general, I mean, you've mentioned early stages, wild west. I feel like, you know, recruiting for unicorns is as much of a wild west because competition never stops. And I think there is a, especially these days, there is a unicorn every like other hour or something. So how do you keep that competitive edge? How do you make sure that like as a talent acquisition organization, you continue staying successful? And I mean, some call it war for talent, but how, how do you, I guess, keep, keep on being on the cutting edge of that war? You know, I think it kind of ties to one of your original questions, how has recruiting evolved over time? And I think the whole notion of talent brand has become a thing, right? And it's that's really only been within the last maybe 10 years or so where it is so prevalent and kind of how you are uh, represented to the marketplace and how prospective candidates, whether active or passive or not looking at all, can perceive the company um, really factors into then people being willing to talk to you. And I think that's one way in which you can kind of have that competitive edge if you really have one a great culture to begin with right like that you you want to be genuine in the way that you're articulating uh, kind of who you are to the marketplace and then being able to tell the story and to tell the value proposition in a really interesting way for people to have at least spark some interest I think that's really, really important. I think as a strategic recruiting organization, it's also really important to understand the landscape of the world that you're recruiting in, right? Whether you're recruiting in the Valley or perhaps maybe in another state or another country, knowing who your competitors are, knowing the, the companies that you're competing with and having a good understanding of uh, what helps them win over our company or vice versa, right? I think having that, an old mentor used to call it talent marketplace intelligence, TMI. But having that intelligence and really understanding the landscape that you're recruiting from also can give you a competitive edge because you know who to go after and you know how to go after them, right? It's the how to go after them. That's really, really important. So I think that also helps. And then the other thing I think that has evolved over time as well is the the business and the hiring manager and the interviewers and the people that kind of sit and do the job every day their involvement in helping to tell the story and share their stories and be involved with engaging with talent mm -hmm. can also make a huge difference, right? We as recruiters, um, you know, people are getting pinged every day and, and we're sending out messages all the time and we're trying to get people to talk to us, but 
when the business actually takes the time, one, it shows that this is important. These hires are important to the business, mm-hmm. the leaders, whomever it is. And it also shows that they're very engaged with the successful outcome of their recruiting, right? And so I do think that's another kind of competitive advantage that a lot of companies now use, but that has evolved over time as well, because it never used to be that way. It used to be us recruiters only, and then they would just do the interviews. Right. I think those are some ways in which, um, you know, you can keep that competitive edge and that how I've seen it kind of happen as the company grows and as the teams grow. Right. Yeah. And I feel like all of that ties back into the culture, right? I think you've got to have the right culture to be able to have that collaborative and be able to put forward a strong talent brand. Because in some ways, it's like the marketing arm. And and it's so often ignored, I think, by companies that that just assume that, like, I guess it's hard to picture what it feels like from an external candidate's perspective, right? Like, it's it's one thing to see your logo, to see your website. It's another thing to get a pick into. What does it feel like, look like to work there? Yeah, yeah. And I do. I I think you're right, because the people within the four walls of the company are like, well, of course we love the company. Of course right. we're here. Like, why, why are people knocking down our door? You have to tell the story and you have to let people know why it's so amazing and, right. and give those stories. Other and, and to your point, if you don't have the stories to tell, then it just becomes disingenuous. But mm-hmm. I do agree with you that, yeah, the sneak peek behind the curtain, so to speak, is really important for sure. Yeah, I think this is where you've got to take a page from like the software marketing and sales playbook, right? You don't, they don't just say, we have a great product. Like you go to a landing page that says, we have a great product, buy it, right? <laughs> there is a whole, whole set of case studies and materials and details and recorded demos and, you know, everything that lets you just truly prove and understand like why you've got a great product. I feel like it's the, the same idea applies here that you, you need to let the candidates actually see and experience and build that emotional connection to it on top of the rationalization of why this is a great place for me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think um, to that end too, you know, in terms of culture, a lot of companies now have articulated values mm-hmm. um, and a lot of companies kind of wrap talent branding around that. But I think to your point, if you have if you have a particular set of values that are really kind of felt and internalized within the company, it's another great way to tell the story as well and kind of anchor to the values. And people also have that connection and resonate oftentimes with values too. You know, uh, Workday had incredible values and has a, an incredible working environment. I think Sentinel One, we have values and we very much anchor to those values and how we articulate our stories oftentimes tie to the values as well. And so I think that's another way to also differentiate because a lot of people have, have a little bit of lip service around values, but if you actually live your values and articulate your values and they're a part of the kind of threads of the fabric of your company, then it really does make a difference in how you tell your stories externally. Right. And it also helps attract the right type of talent, right? Because people will select self-select themselves out of the process if they feel like they don't align with those values, which is exactly what you want. You don't want to keep those a secret and then you join and you're like, nah, I don't believe in this. <laughs> Why am I here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one last question. Uh, a lot of recruiters and future recruiting leaders listen to this podcast. So I'm curious kind of as parting words of advice for people who want to be in your shoes a few years from now, you know, what, what should they be doing today to maximize their chances? 
So it goes back to my original story of kind of how I got into recruiting um, and then how it's kind of played out. You know, my advice is raise your hand and, and jump in with both feet for things that might come up and opportunities within a company, at other companies, take risks. I think the more exposure that you allow yourself to different aspects of a business or a recruiting organization, the more well-equipped you are to then help your teams navigate certain situations in certain contexts because you kind of lived it and breathed it and done it. And I've had the great fortune of getting exposed to lots of different sides of recruiting, not just recruiting delivery. And so I think because of that, it, it lends itself well, because oftentimes it's brand new to the recruiter, but I've seen it so many times that I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. I've seen this, let's kind of work through the particular situation. So mm-hmm. exposing yourself to lots of opportunities, even if you have no experience with it, and take those risks. I think also we talked about relationships. Again, I've been very blessed. Mason was the first one that ever helped me along the way. But since then, I've had a lot of people who have helped me along the way and who've been willing to give me an opportunity to do more than I ever imagined I would be able to do. Um, And so finding those anchors for yourself and the people that you trust and that you can ask and seek advice from um, and mentorship from, I think is also really important. And being, being super honest with those people about when you need help or when you don't know something, because that's really where a lot of your own kind of personal growth and development will come. We all, we all, make mistakes and we all have, you know, personal like things that we have failed in, in our past. And, you know, you take those mistakes, you work with people that believe in you, and then you move on from them. Um, that all of those things really lend themselves well to leading teams. And then the, the last thing I would say is again, kind of tying to what we just talked about in terms of values, as you navigate your career, you really should think about like, what is your value set and identify that and, and kind of anchor yourself and center yourself around that because people want to know that it's not just about the numbers and it's not just about delivering for the business. Like you have a value set, you care about certain things. It's, it's about the people and how you help those people along the way in their careers. Um, So I think it's really important to kind of center yourself to values as well. Love it. Phenomenal words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Phyllis. Really appreciate it. And I think that's a great note to end it on. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for listening. Go to recruitingatscale.com to find more episodes and make sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.